preview a show that he's doing on December, what would that be, the 16th at King King. So next week, Desmond Masiello. I'm going to finish up here with a track called Hypnotized from the album Hypnotized by Colette. Enjoy. Opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. He's some sort of free-thinking anarchist. I'd like to hear one guy here on satellite radio because you can't get on regular radio. White youth must choose sides now. We must either fight on the side of the oppressed or be on the side of the oppressor. Yeah, clean up this thing, Paul. Do you think that Bill O'Brien is a 
right to be quiet. I heartily endorse this event or product. Is the underground for sale? Recent marketing campaigns appear to come from the underground, but they were actually paid for, promoted, and distributed by corporate dollars. Has punk finally sold out? Good morning. This is KUCI in Irvine, 88.9 on the FM dial, KUCI.org. This is Justice or Justice. Glad to be with you on this, uh, boy, December 8th. 2005, where today we are going to take a look at popular culture. Is it really popular culture or is it mass culture? And of course, what is the difference between popular culture and mass culture? One, of course, being organic and popular because it comes from the ground up. The other being mass culture, and that is it reaches a mass size simply because it's been uh, corporately funded, corporately promoted, and distributed. Today we're going to take a look at whether the punk scene has finally caught the corporate virus and has become part of a large-scale marketing campaign. You see those street stencils and graffiti and stickers and pins and indie websites and so on and so forth. Are those things corporately funded, or are they really grassroots? That's what we're going to take a look at today. Great new article, the cover article of Punk Planet for November and December 2005. Asks, is the scene for sale? Has punk finally sold out? We'll be speaking with the author of this article, Anne Elizabeth Moore. She is also the author of Hey Kids, Buy This Book. And uh, hopefully she'll give us some tips on media literacy, not only for children, but for adults as well. How to sniff out whether there's a corporate sponsor behind the seemingly underground scene. So it's going to be a great program. Stick around. We'll be back with Anne Elizabeth Moore in just about five minutes. This is KUCI's Justice or Just Us. He went in there and liberated those children from the prisons, liberated those adults from those torture chambers, and he did it without your help. We don't want to raise flags because we're not here to raise American flags. We're here to free the Iraqi people. He went in and liberated those children from the prisons, liberated those adults from those torture chambers. Wrong. Wrong. We own Baghdad. We 
we we own Baghdad. He went in there and liberated those children from the. We own Baghdad. We own Baghdad. We own Baghdad. He liberated those adults from those torture chambers. Drop, drop, drop.
And we are back on KUCI's Justice or Justice. That was Negative Land from the Dyspepsy CD. We heard the smile, You Can't Hide a CD. We'll hopefully be talking about in a couple of minutes. And uh, before that, we had uh, War, If It Feels Good, Do It, from a great compilation of hip-hop and uh, turntable DJs taking some of the speeches of George W. Bush and uh, kind of making him say things that we know he really meant, but uh, didn't quite come out that way. Un-Orwellian Bush, I guess we could say. Uh, You know, is the underground scene for sale? Recent marketing campaigns appear to come from the underground, but they're actually paid for, promoted, and distributed by corporate dollars. Has punk finally sold out? What is going on with the underground scene? Here to talk about this is Anne Elizabeth Moore. She is the author of the cover article for the November-December 2005 Punk Planet Notes from Underground magazine. She's also the author of the books Hey Kids, Buy This Book, a radical primer on corporate and government propaganda and artistic activism for short people that's available at Soft School Press. Uh, Also, Stop Reading This, a manifesto Manifesto for Radical Literacy that's available from Seattle uh, Research Institute. She's the editor of the first two comics journal special special editions from Fantagraphics Books, one of my favorite uh, comic book lines. She's also the associate publisher of Independence Day Media and uh, tons of other things. Uh, She's first published at the age of 15. Since then, her work has appeared in The Onion, Well, that alone right there. The Chicago Reader, The Stranger, The Progressive, and The Journal of Popular Culture, where I'm proud to say I have also published. Uh, Here to talk about the uh, underground and what's happening to it is Anne Elizabeth Moore. Are you with us, Anne? Hi. Hi. Thank you uh, so much for being with us. It's quite uh, quite a wonderful uh, biography you have, and uh, I'm real excited to to talk to you about... uh, what seems to be going on in the underground. So maybe we should begin by um, trying to define exactly what's meant when we say that the underground is for sale. What is the underground? Well, um, in Punk Planet, it's pretty easy to define the underground because it's pretty much our readers, hipsters, punkers, skaters, b-boys. But really what we're talking about when we talk about the underground is youth culture, the larger idea that... um, People are doing things outside of the mainstream that just because they enjoy them. So it's kind of a fluctuating definition. Because it seems kind of to be uh, that same, uh, you know, trap of talking about music as being alternative. Yeah. So is there is there any way to, how do you tell if something's underground? How, is it just kind of like pornography, you know it when you see it? Well, you definitely know it when you're making it um, because you aren't getting any money for it, nor are you really getting any recognition from beyond your small circle of friends. So I think one of the reasons that it's hard to define is that it's not something that appears in our, you know, it, it sort of appears as an element of our popular culture, but actual works in the underground, you know, are changed if they actually move into the popular culture. So it's it's much more the things that are unseen that are just sort of practiced by, you know, youth culture or sort of those of us who got older and, and set in our ways and didn't want to change at all when we were from when we were younger. 
I think that a couple of the terms that are used in uh, the article Scenes for Sale that might help uh, listeners just get a sense of, of the, the terms that we'll be working with because it'll really help to illustrate how the underground is being threatened is uh, one is the whole do-it-yourself approach to culture, to media, to um, you know, silk screening t-shirts, things of that nature. And uh, the other is maybe the difference between organic and inorganic culture. Could you maybe talk about those kind of techniques and then we'll launch into some examples of maybe how things look to be do-it-yourself but really aren't? Great. Yeah, D, uh, DIY, which is, you know, all caps, DIY, um, has become another tricky term to define because it, it literally means do-it-yourself. And it literally means that you should, you know, or or describes things that are actually created by oneself. Um, but with the recent advancements in sort of craftivism and and um, and and the marketing of these homemade handcrafted products, DIY has become sort of a brand. So. Um, so when we use it, though, in Punk Planet and when I use the term, I'm actually referring things that are hand-created and um, not sponsored by any sort of corporate or business entity. Yeah, it, it seems to me that it's things that become popular not because of a multi-million dollar advertising campaign, but simply by word of mouth, simply by exchanging rather than marketing and rather than selling. Exactly. Okay. And organic speaks to that as well. The organic growth or the organic popularity of something um, is something that we've all experienced when when things are handmade. When you when a friend of yours makes a T-shirt that's really really great and you want her to make you one, that's an organic growth. Whereas an inorganic growth would be um, a a marketing team coming in and giving away those free T-shirts in order to popularize them so that others will also want to purchase them. We're seeing the, the shirt on a mannequin in a storefront window where, of course, the uh, clothing manufacturers pay thousands of dollars in order to have the, the product placed so prominently in a store. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Well, let's talk about how uh, corporate culture is, to use uh, your word, misappropriating the methods of the underground. Why don't we start with the uh, really fascinating tale, which I didn't know about, about uh, Star Wars Episode Three. Mm. Well, um, the first thing to note about Star Wars Episode Three is that it was a really bad movie. And I, I have you seen it? Uh, I'm not really a fan of the Star Wars, uh, so so I'll take your word for it on that one. I've, I've I have not heard good things about it. How about no, you? No, I haven't heard a single good thing about it. But um, the thing is that that I saw it, and and the reason that I saw it was because I couldn't go anywhere in my life, and I live a very very a life that is very far removed from the mainstream. I work at Punk Planet, and then I write at home. And I sew a lot of my own clothes. I just don't get out very much, and I don't participate in that larger culture. And still, I couldn't escape Star Wars 3. And it was because of an, an amazing marketing campaign that they had perpetrated to forward Star Wars 3 Revenge of the Sith. And do you want me to describe that? Is that yeah, please. Like okay. the, the stenciling, the stickers, yeah. the, the website. So um, what they did was they sort of, uh, Bonnie Burton, who was the, the marketing person, as I understand it, behind this project, although they were very close-mouthed about it, of course. 
put out a call to artists that sort of said, hey, send us your Star Wars stuff. And she also sent out a call to bands that said, hey, if you like Star Wars, you know, um, let me know and I'll totally interview you on the Star Wars site. And I grew up with Star Wars, and that's a very, it's a very emotional story for me. I mean, that literally tells the story of my childhood, you know. Um, you know, the abandonment by your father and the sort of all these struggles that you go through to become, a, to become your own person. And so all these people that were my age wanted to participate in the Star Wars ethos somehow. And a lot of them sent in materials to Bonnie Burton, and then she turned around and she sent them out from the Lucasfilms office. And then, of course, she and or the Star Wars marketing people turned around and wrote these articles that said, um, ooh, the underground is you know, miraculously creating amazing works of art that happen to feature Star Wars people, and continued to sort of seed the notion that Star Wars was a very popular movie in the underground through this, these media campaigns. And so eventually, really, literally, this worked for me, and I actually ended up going to see the movie, which is an amazing thing for me. So the art and the creativity and the culture of underground was kind of misappropriated in the sense that it was used not for its own creativity and not as an end in itself, but really as a means to market this, you know, mega, you know, I mean, a film that everyone knew was going to be a blockbuster anyway. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, it's it's... The, the misappropriation term comes in in that um, these things were created and they were used, yes, to sell a product. Now, when you sit down and you draw a picture of Yoda at home and maybe he's being hugged by Mr. T and then you write a funny little slogan under it that says, you know, peace among the races, that's one thing. That's a very organic um, creation that you've made that uses images from popular culture. I'm sorry, a train's going by. That's all right. You can hear that. But um, That's the beauty of non-corporate radio. <laughs> it's true. Um, but when you then sell that sticker or turn that sticker over to Star Wars and Star Wars distribute it as a marketing um, part of their film, then that has a different meaning. It has lost an essential element of integrity, and it's now it's now a promotional item. You know, and far be it from me to point out the the obvious that uh, you know Lucasfilms is uh, distributed by uh, Fox, which is News Corporation, which is Rupert Murdoch. So if we keep taking it a step or two removed, we could see exactly where the money ultimately is going. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's really important to to trace as much of that stuff back as you can to make it clear, yes, where your money is going or where your hard work is going. In terms of the underground, I mean, we're just, we're not a rich culture, you know? We just make amazing work. I want to remind listeners that they're listening to KUCI in Irvine, 88.9 FM, KUCI.org, which broadcasts worldwide on the Internet. This is Justice or Just Us. We're speaking to uh, Anne Elizabeth Moore. She is the author of Scene for Sale. It's the cover article from the November-December 2005 Punk Planet I got to tell you, when uh, I started letting friends and colleagues know that I was going to be talking to you about being for sale, they said, got to talk about the Nike case. Can you tell our listeners uh, who 
pretty much know the some of the background, maybe not how it was resolved. Exactly what was this Nike case with minor threat, Ian McKay, and Discord Records? Mm-hmm. Um, over the summer, Nike Skateboarding, which has had a very contentious history in the underground, actually created a, a poster campaign for a tour that they were doing, which was promoting Nike skateboarding products. And it was a skateboarding tour. And they named it uh, Major Threat. And then the image that they used was um, a direct uh, a direct reshooting of the cover image from the Minor Threat um, 1980 self-titled release released by Discord Records. Now, Minor Threat is a band that, you know, in many ways sort of defines the underground. It's profoundly loved by the underground, not only because um, Ian McKay was involved in the creation of it, but also because um, he actually started his own record company, Discord, in order to sort of make sure that he was able to retain as much integrity as he could. So, so Minor Threat had been appropriated by Nike Skateboarding to um, popularize this skateboarding campaign for Nike, which is crazy. Um, so Minor Threat freaked out. The underground freaked out. And everyone started sending crazy flames of hate mail throughout the cyberspace. And pretty soon, Nike Skateboarding was so frustrated that they actually pulled the campaign. Unfortunately, they only pulled it five days before the tour ended. And by that time, every single minor threat fan on the face of the earth already knew about Nike skateboarding, which is an amazing, amazing feat of public relations. Even if any bad will was created, which in the end it turns out it wasn't, their message got out. Right. I mean, there's, there's no such thing as bad publicity. Well, it's true. Well, but how do you respond to the fact, which your article, uh, you know, duly points out, that according to Nike, it was fans of Minor Threat that came up with the ad campaign as sort of an homage to uh, Minor Threat? Well, homages are um, a tricky legal term because... um, And I actually just consulted a copyright lawyer about this last night. But that was a very direct violation of copyright law, no matter what. Even if if, um, Discord and Minus Threat refused to do anything about it, it was still a violation of a law that is on the books. And I think that it's it's right of Minus Threat and Discord to not do anything about it. But it was still, in the eyes of the law, wrong. to, to interject, just because I want to make sure that I don't come across as, as hypocritical, uh, not that you're being hypocritical, I don't misunderstand, but I've got, you know, the negative land, dyspepsy, or dyspepsy, I never know how to pronounce it, but... Dyspepsy, yeah. Okay, I've got uh, that CD in my hand, and, I mean, is homage or or parody, I mean, we're saying it's okay for negative land to, uh, you know, to take an entire album of Pepsi and Coca-Cola sound bites and show just how ridiculous it is to market something in that way, yet when Nike does it and it's possibly meant as, as an homage, uh, is there a double standard going on? Well, that's the, that's the tricky thing. A lot of people 
um, in calling immediately for minor threat and discord to sue Nike, we're putting a double standard in place. And this is why Punk Planet actually came down on Nike's side in a very weird, you know, uncomfortable situation, agreed that Nike had the right to use this imagery and that they should be um, sort of not punished for using this imagery. But at the same time, the problems that that creates are very, very clear, which is the image that Ian Mackay and Discord was actually supporting Nike isn't correct. And those are the things that still need to be addressed that, you know, intellectual property rights laws don't really cover those issues. Right. And certainly listeners of this program are well aware of the uh, concerns of Nike and sweatshop labor and uh, so on and so forth, so we don't need to, to get into that. And I thought that that was one of the interesting parts about the article was how it kind of came down on the side of not Nike's strategy, but on the side of, of not suing, which, uh, you know, which I thought was quite, uh, quite interesting. Well, all of this uh, raises the question... Um, is the underground allowing itself to be co-opted? Well, it is, and the the issue of the um, the skateboarders who were actually minor threat fans, sort of perpetrating this homage slash copyright violation in the first place, addresses that directly. And what that means to me is that there is a much larger issue of of loss of integrity on a sort of um, national scale, and also um, a misunderstanding of the, f- the notions of freedom of expression. And because we need to retain some integrity to be able to believe our sources, to be able to trust our sources. And when we, you know, don't really care who's putting out the product that we like looking at, we end up supporting things like like Fox News or Shell Oil or Nike, without even really thinking about it. And that's, you know, that's just going to continue to perpetuate really horrible things that none of us are are in the end personally comfortable with. Well, I think you've probably answered the the one, you know, real devil's advocate question uh, that I had to ask, but I'll, I'll ask it anyway, and then I'd love to be able to get into... Uh, maybe some advice that you have uh, on media literacy, you know, looking into your work with, uh, you know, hey kids, buy this book. And, um, but uh, ne- on next week's program, I'll be interviewing uh, Joseph Heath, who is the author of a book titled, uh, in the United States, it's titled Nation of Rebels, though it's kind of more well known as, I think, the better title, Rebel Cell. And uh, he, he is a co-author of this book, along with, I believe, Andrew Potter, and they are uh, you know, self-proclaimed lefties who believe that this preoccupation with culture jamming or with mass marketing and things of that nature kind of diverts the left or counterculture or underground's attention away from tackling real structural issues. That, you know, this is just kind of silly, trying to set ourselves apart from the mainstream or the masses where if one is really you know, a a leftist, then they want to reach out to the masses to form a a critical mass in order to change uh, oppressive culture. Um, How do you respond to that? Well, I think that there are two two issues at play here. And one is that um, 
that, for one, a lot of the criticism of culture jamming comes out of a great disappointment that we all felt and that I felt just as strongly as anyone else following the 2004 presidential election. And I think it's um, really, really dangerous, though, to consider changing a strategy based on our disappointment over, you know, losing that election, over leftists losing that election, because we don't actually know what happened in that election. What is – I'm not – Certainly, I understand the relationship to culture jamming, though. Well, uh, that that those were the strategies that were popular that people felt like were really going to change the tide in favor of, uh, well, against Bush. Okay. And when that didn't work, I think people started re-questioning again culture jamming, and so that's one issue. Uh, however. I actually don't believe that culture jamming is a very good strategy um, because it basically takes elements of our culture that we use in our daily lives and it represents them in a new way. And this is this is a um, a fatal flaw that you're actually representing things that you supposedly want to be fighting against. So it's the same bad publicity is still publicity. You have to know what's being parodied in order to understand the parody. Exactly. Okay. And I really think, um, and Dispatsy is a great example. Like it's a, it's a brilliant, amazing work of art. It's possibly one of the most popular, or most you know, important works of art that came out of the '90s. But I won't buy it. Right. <laughs> right. Because I don't want to support anything positive about Coke or Pepsi. And the irony, which is pointed out in the article, is that uh, after hearing the album, uh, Miller Genuine Draft uh, contacted Negative Land to try to take all of the archives of the uh, Miller slogans or logos or jingles and, and try to do the same, but for, for an advertising campaign um, for Miller Genuine Draft. Is that correct? Yeah, and, and the thing is, Negative Land could have used that money. They don't, Certainly, they could they don't have used make any money. <laughs> they don't. SST and their lawsuits, and yeah. Yeah. So, um, so it is. It's it's very tricky negotiations, but um, you know that's sort of the cost of integrity. That's that's what you have to do if you want to be able to do work that you believe in and promote the idea of freedom of expression. Well, let us get into uh, maybe some of your other work and try to take a look at strategies. Uh, you're the author of the book, Hey Kids, Buy This Book, a radical primer on corporate and governmental propaganda and artistic activism for short people. Mm -hmm. um, how can, uh, whether they're kids or adults or, you know, how do you sniff out whether there's this big corporate entity uh, behind what appears to be uh, part of the underground? Well, uh, again, you have to know your sources, and that doesn't necessarily mean limit your sources or rely only on things that you know, but, um, but taking what is offered to you as at face value just isn't going to work anymore. And with children's programming, I mean, the whole kerfuffle over PBS right now being funded by the Corporation for Public Broadcast, majorly funded by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, which has enormous corporate interests, we're actually starting to see how these um, advertising and promotional messages are filtered down to a very, very young age and actually worked into educational programming. 
and that this is working. And it's been working for a long time, and no one's really noticed it, and no one's really found a way to stop it yet. Um, so you have to do a lot of research. You have to really think about the messages that you're getting, and you have to understand that we live in a, a sort of corporate environment, and pretty much somebody wants to sell you something a lot of the time. So when you talk to children, what, or if you were to talk to children, um, what would be your first kind of um, bit of advice on how to watch TV, how to look at advertising? Well, um, one of the things, because this information is hidden, that I actually put into Hey Kids, which is a little, it's a little it was described as a little peanut butter and jelly-sized book, is um, is a little guide in the back that sort of allows you to trace back some really common products that are really popular with kids, like video games and movies, and, and trace them back to their major corporate um, owners. So, um, and also a lot of sports teams, which is really interesting. So, um, so one way is just to find those sources of information and make sure that you use them. Now, the other, the other issues are, you know, all the things that we've mentioned before. Make sure that you research, make sure that you know your sources, make sure that you ask questions, make sure that you don't sort of just do what you are told to do. Um, but the, the most important thing for me is also that youth actually make their own media and try to actually use their own voice and, and put out their own notions into the world so that they can see how media operates as well as have a voice that that rivals the voice that they're constantly receiving. So rather than just be a, a, a dependent recipient of, of information or uh, per, uh, perspectives on beauty and culture, be kind of the uh, providers of that information as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What about the idea uh, of, you know, killing your television? There's this whole anti-television movement which, you know, being a Simpsons junkie, i got to tell you, it's kind of difficult for me. But, um, you know, I think it's important to know the environment in which one is living, and I think it's important to know the enemy. What kind of advice do you give to children about, you know, just abandoning television and, and quote-unquote, mass culture altogether? Mm-hmm. Well, um, I mean, my thing about killing your television, and I've lived without television for, for vast numbers of years, you know, on and off, um, is that you're not going to make it go away. And even if you don't watch it yourself, which, you know, I would strongly urge whoever can do that to do that because it's actually pretty great. Um, but it's not going to go away. It's going to be there. And you can ignore it as much as you want, but you should actually make sure that you have the tools to be able to interpret it when it starts to filter into your life because kids kids sing commercial jingles to each other all the time they recite plots from sitcoms they they talk endlessly about uh, commercials and tv shows and and things that they experience on television so it's it's a part of our youth culture and and we need to deal with that well, we're just about out of time, but I was wondering if you can provide some, uh, you know, give a, a couple of certainly Punk Planet, but um, where do you recommend children, teenagers, adults go for alternative kind of underground organic information? Could be, you know, zines, could be websites, could be record labels. What do you recommend? 
Well, there is, interestingly enough, a national distributor for independent magazines right now um, called the IPA, and they are located online at IndiePress.org. And unfortunately, they're having um, – we, we, Punk Planet, is distributed by the IPA's distribution arm, which used to be called Big Top. Um, and they are having some serious financial trouble. And so I would very strongly recommend that whoever is even slightly interested – Go look on the IPA list, find all the magazines that they can that are distributed by the IPA, and subscribe to them directly. Because the fact um, we'll say we'll say check them out because we are uh, right. non corporate, so we can't really say things of that nature. But they should go check them out. How okay, about that? That's okay. good. Great. <laughs> um, but these magazines are in vast trouble because this distribution is having is having difficulty and might not be able to survive. A vast number of them are actually having serious financial trouble right now. Plug Planet is a part of that. So so check them out and offer whatever support you feel comfortable offering. Okay. Um, what about, uh, you know, sources, you know, online or for, um, you know, for music or, or just, you know, information? I always promote The Onion because I think you get more accurate news in The Onion than you do in... Uh, just about any other place, besides KUCI, of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> well, it's, it's uh, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of people get their news from The Onion or The Daily Show or um, The Kilborn or The uh, Colbert Report. Um, but I would strongly recommend actually going a little bit closer to the source and, and read as many blogs as you can and read. Um, there's a great... Um, site called PR Watch that actually talks specifically about um, the sort of hidden machinations of, of public relations corporations. We've actually had them on this show. Yeah, they're great. Yes. They're great. So, and they offer a lot of really amazing, relevant news that ends up, you know, having been promoted by PR people. Great. And um, if you can give us the, is Punk Planet available online? Well, we do have a site, punkplanet.com, um, and we also have various sources of information, although not all of our content is available online. But you can definitely find out more about us online. And you should go to your local indie shop to find a copy of Punk Planet, and as we say on non-corporate radio, check it out. <laughs> and you have uh, a website, correct? I do. Currently, the only thing available on it is my book, which you can download for free. And it's at AnnaElizabethMoore.com. And the book is titled Hey Kids, hey, Buy This Book. And uh, Anna Elizabeth Moore, we definitely have to have you back because uh, you're, you're a great, great interview. So thank you so much for being with us today. Fantastic. I totally appreciate it. Take care. Bye-bye. And we'll be back with more Justice or Just Us just after this. I'm thinking one reason why possibly Coca-Cola decided to uh, change the formula is humanitarian effort. Because the... What? Oh, because the... Mexican police will, will no longer be able to use Coca-Cola to interrogate their prisoners. One, one technique to um, get prisoners to start saying things is to shake up a Coca-Cola and put it up the prisoner's nose. Mm. So I was just thinking that possibly with lower carbonation, this won't work as well. Open it. 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 Open it.
Just what is it that you want to do? Win this war. Yeah, we don't want nobody telling us what to do. We don't want nobody pushing us around. The interests of our nation and the interest of our nation in this supplemental is to win this war. And that's what we're going to do. Well, wait, baby, let's go. We're going to have a good time. Do it. I told our country and I, I told our country and I, I told our country and I, I told our country and I told the world. I told our country and I told the world. I told our country and I told the world. It feels good, do it. Terror. Good, 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 good. Mass murder. Good, good, good. Great, great. It feels good, do it. Begin bombing in five minutes. Begin bombing in five minutes. Justice or Justice. I've always worried that people who just tune in right when it says I've got a message for the people of Iraq, I hope they know that I'm not actually endorsing that. I'm playing that as uh, a satire. But uh, yes, anyway, I want to thank my guest once again, Anne Elizabeth Moore. Her article, Scene for Sale, is the cover article of Punk Planet, so do check it out. A couple of things going on in the news. Speaking of the war in Iraq, suicide bombers kill 30 people in Iraq. There's liberation for you. Suicide bombing on a bus headed for the Shiite city of Nazaria has killed up to 30 people, while nearly 40 others were injured in the attack. Meanwhile, in Baghdad, at least one U.S. soldier was killed in a series of explosions hitting the city earlier this morning. Uh, the captors of four kidnapped Western aid workers have extended their threat to execute them by another 48 hours until Saturday. The Swords of Righteousness Brigade has threatened to kill four members of the Christian peacemaker teams unless all prisoners are freed from U.S. and Iraqi-run detention centers. On Wednesday, the captors released a new video of the hostages. Uh, other things going on. The aid workers' uh, capture has sparked an international outpour of calls for their release. 
On Wednesday, a Jordanian cleric jailed in Britain for alleged links to Al-Qaeda called on the kidnappers to release the four men. Uh, in Miami, air marshals shoot and kill a passenger. A passenger reportedly suffering from a mental disorder was killed by federal air marshals on Wednesday. Witnesses say that the man ran off the plane after claiming he had a bomb in his backpack shortly before the plane was set to take off. His wife followed behind him, yelling out to bystanders that her husband had not taken his medication for a serious bipolar condition. There was, of course, no bomb found in the backpack or in any of the plane's luggage. Uh, in a ruling uh, about Mumia Abu Jamal, uh, in a ruling his defense team is calling a major victory, Mumia Abu Jamal has won the right to appeal his murder conviction on three separate grounds. Convicted in 1982 for the murder of a police officer, Mumia will be able to appeal on grounds of both judge and jury bias. He'll also appeal on the basis the trial prosecutor misled jurors. Those are some of the news headlines uh, for today, uh, December 8th. 2005, and uh, that's just about going to wrap it up for today's Justice or Just Us. Stick around, and Owner's Guide to the Mind is up next, taking a look at memory and emotion with uh, Professor James McGaw from uh, UC Irvine's, is he still in psychobiology? Yeah. Department of Psychobiology, so there you have it. Stick around, Patrick will be up in just a few minutes, and uh, next week, part two of our look at popular culture, we will indeed be taking a look at the other side, the side that says focusing on culture jamming, focusing on trying to mock mainstream culture, corporate culture, or trying to simply be part of an underground defeats the purpose of progressive politics. Rather than simply critiquing Nike, you should be critiquing capitalism and that the strategies of the left have become too distrustful of that which is mainstream. The only way to change the system is to reach out to the mainstream, for the workers of the world to unite, if you will. So we'll be taking a look at a book titled Nation of Rebels, known uh, better uh, in Canada as The Rebel Cell. And uh, we'll be speaking to one of the authors, uh, Professor Joseph Heath from University of Toronto. It's going to be a really, really interesting talk. I am about halfway through the book, and I can't tell if I love it or hate it. And I can't tell if I hate it because I know they're right and I'm wrong. That's the kind of personality I have. So definitely tune in next week. And uh, with that, this is KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. And uh, I leave off once again with the soundtrack from the Requiem for a Dream film. It's KUCI in Irvine. Peace.